Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the June 7th edition of the Connect Online Meeting. Very good to be with you tonight. Of course, my name is uh, Jonathan Jenkins. You probably know that by now. Uh, and Eric Owens is here uh, with me this evening to help host the program. Good to have you back tonight, sir. How are things going for you, man? Things are going very well. Thank you, and it's good to be back. Good. Here you had a little Bible study going on last night. That's can't believe you actually went, went to a Bible study instead of here, man. That's just, where are your priorities, man? <laughs> I traded Bible study for Bible study. I traded Bible study for Bible study. All right. That's a good thing. But uh, everybody, thank you for tuning in. We've got Todd Creighton here with us. We'll get to Todd here in just a moment. Let him get started. Um, while we are uh, starting up tonight, uh, if you would, please take a second. Make sure you are uh, subscribed everywhere. We'd like you to be subscribed. Uh, you'll find out a whole lot more about what's going on here at Digital Bible Study, if you will. Uh, primarily, that would be Facebook, YouTube, uh, and over on our Locals page, digitalbiblestudy.locals.com is our newest uh, resource, uh, and we like how things are going over there already, so if you haven't yet uh, signed up over there, you can sign up for free. Um, go over there to, to Locals and, and do that would be a great way to stay in touch with us and for us to stay in touch with you as well. Um, if you would uh, like to support the work here, uh, you can do that by the stars and the super chats. Um that we put up, uh, uh, that you put up rather every night. We thank you for those who participate in that program. Uh, you can also do that by, uh, well, you can actually support us at the locals page if you want to do that. But our primary source of uh, subscriptions is over at the website at digitalbiblestudy.org. Um, subscriptions for as little as $5 a month. Actually on locals, you can do it for $2 a month. So um, if you want to help us out there, we would greatly appreciate it if you consider uh, coming on board and, and doing that with us. Uh, we need your help to keep this thing going. And we appreciate everything you do for us uh, each and every night and, and each and every month that you all have stayed subscribed with us. So having said that, I'll throw it over to you, man. Take it away, sir. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Thank you, everyone, for welcoming me back. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, feel like I'm constantly gone and being welcomed back. So thank you for having me tonight. I appreciate it. <laughs> We are going to say a word of prayer at the end of the session tonight. It uh, will be my privilege to lead us in that prayer. And if you have prayer requests, uh, please let that be known. Jonathan will keep a watch over the feed and we will pray together at the end of our session tonight. And with that said, we turn our attention to our speakers. Jonathan mentioned Brother Todd Creighton is here with us tonight. Todd, how are you, my friend? I'm doing excellent, bro. Great, great to be on part of the program again. Miss seeing you guys and miss being here. And so I'm very thankful for another opportunity to speak and tell the word of God. Well, man, it is always good to have you. We're excited about it. And uh, for those who don't know you, since you haven't been with us in a minute, do you mind uh, if you would share just a little bit about yourself, your family, your work, and anything else that you're working on? We're glad to do so. Um, I'm still located here in, in the North Dallas area, well as one of the elders. Uh, our work here is going well. Our faithful members have been very faithful. We are continuing to uh, spread the message here and to reach out as much as we can. Of course, we are adjusting like many congregations still uh, since the shutdown period. Uh, but we're going to do the work. It is continuing to go very well. Uh, I want to especially ask for prayers for the work of the Bear Valley Bible Institute uh, in Cameroon, Africa. So both the schools in uh, Wotutu, which is the English-speaking school, as well as in 
which is the French-speaking school. They're both doing well. And the brethren there, Brother Langway Esway in the English side and Brother Atiti Namending on the French-speaking side. Their families, as well as their students, are doing well. And we just want to continue to pray for them as that work moves forward. Yes, sir. Uh, are you able yet to go back over? I know you've been several times. I know you had planned to go. Uh, is travel uh, open enough for that to happen again yet? Yes, sir. We got some great news uh, most recently about four weeks ago that uh, the embassy for Cameroon, Washington, D.C., uh, opening up visas for those who have traveled to Cameroon previously and returned. So uh, myself, as well as the director of the schools, David Ballard, who's a preacher in Paris, Texas, uh, for the Pattonville Church of Christ, hoping uh, that we'll be able to yeah, obtain visas and be able to travel and check on the work and, and be with the brethren this October. That's what we're hoping for. Uh, there will be a graduation in the English speaking school scheduled for December and then for the French school scheduled in March. So if we're not able to go in October, our plan is to go in December or in March. Willing. That is fantastic. Uh, I'm not sure if our audience knew that you had had some health issues and we were talking earlier and that you're doing better. It, it was your heart, but things are better now. Um, yes, that is a, a understatement. Um, <laughs> an issue with my heart rhythm and particularly I had a atrial flutter, which is uh, what's called a cousin to uh, atrial fibrillation or AFib. Uh, but the doctors were able to treat that uh, with a procedure back in February, uh, medication. And so I had about uh, eight to 12 weeks of recovery time. And so since the beginning of February up until uh, about the beginning of last May, um, I was just recovering, but I feel a lot stronger. And I'm so thankful for the prayers and for the encouragement of so many uh, who sent up prayers for myself and for my family. And I'm just very thankful that the Lord much better. Well, as always, we're very thankful for you. I'm not sure if everybody knows you served our nation in the, in the Army, U.S. Army. Uh, I don't mind saying yes. it. Go Army. Uh, glad you <laughs> We appreciate it very much. Brother Todd, what are you going to be preaching about tonight? Uh, tonight, the subject is a place prepared or a prepared place uh, with the king. Okay. Great to see you, man. Good to mm -hmm. have you here. Look forward to the sermon. Yep. I'm going to turn the room Excellent. over to you. Turn the room over to you now, Todd. So uh, go ahead and start preaching. Uh, when you Well, hold on, everybody, real quick. Don't forget, we do have uh, cogitations coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, so after uh, uh, Todd finishes, we do have another show coming up uh, at the top of the next hour. So uh, stick around for that. But uh, the rest of the rest of the hour is yours, uh, Todd. So go ahead and uh, start preaching to us whenever you're ready. So thankful again to be here with the Bible study family. Thank you so much for spending the time uh, to be with us and to take the to study a portion of God's word. We can read in the history of the New Testament, in particular in Acts chapter 13, where we see the custom of Paul and uh, Barnabas to go into a city. And as they would enter into a city to find those, to seek out those who were interested in hearing the message of God, uh, their custom was to enter into the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was a uh, centrally located 
place in the city. It was the place of uh, the community interaction. It was also the place uh, for Jewish worship. If the city had at least 10 uh, men who would take part uh, and teach. Uh, and so in particular here in Acts chapter 13, beginning verse 16, uh, is where we'll begin tonight. Paul wants to introduce these men to a wonderful and beautiful idea. It says in verse six, beginning, now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, and they're beginning their journey, and they are uh, traveling from place to place, but in particular, uh, in verse 21 is where we want to begin, and afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave him Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God's raised up for Israel, a savior, Jesus. And so Paul uses this opportunity in the synagogue to take the people from this reading of the Old Testament scroll from life of David the king. And so he's using the dynasty and the rule of David, his life, as the avenue by which he will bring the people. And that's a beautiful point. Paul's ultimate goal is, is for the people to know that the message of Christ is not a new message. It is a message that they had been had been foretold. It had been shown them uh, through the prophets. It had proclaimed uh, as the way was prepared by John the Baptist, and now was being made known to them uh, through their teaching. Verse. 30. to you glad tidings that promise which was made to their fathers god has fulfilled this for us their children in that he has raised up jesus as it is also written in the second psalm you are my son today i have begotten you and he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption he has spoken thus i will give you the sure mercies of david therefore he also says in a psalm you will not allow your holy one to see corruption for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw the corruption. And so beginning from this point, from this life of David, Paul is trying to show the people how they are connected back, going to be connected back as king. They have a right to that through the message of Jesus Christ. And Tonight, as we think about David and his life, we're going to go back in antiquity. See how Paul uses this life of David, because it's so critical when we read First and Second Samuel. These are some of the most beautiful and detailed accounts of the life of God's people. It tells us the intricate details of their interactions as they were obedient to God's will at times, and as at other times, like many of us, they struggled, or they were openly disobedient and hard-hearted toward God, and they suffered because of this. But out of this suffering, and out of this strife, and out of these uh, 
time periods where God has taken the nation that was essentially just tribes. When God brought the people out of Egyptian bondage and they entered into the wilderness following after the teachings of the law of Moses and Moses the teacher, they were a group of tribes. And now as they have entered into the promised land, and now being in this period uh, where uh, their interaction with God essentially had been chaotic, this is the period ending the judges and entered the period of the kings where they will have uh, an identity as a nation. God remembered these kings. And in particularly in First and Second Samuel, we see the lives. We see the Ark of Saul is peak and then is descend into corruption. And overlapping with that, of course, is the life of David. Now, there's something in particular about David that's special. His relationship not only to Saul as king and the honor, the, um, the, the respect, the reverence that he had for Saul as king, but the special relationship that he had with his son, Jonathan. And that's something that one of the most beautiful relationships between brethren that we find in the Old Testament. Their bond was likened to that they were born of the same mother. They had that close affection to care for one another. Uh, and it's a wonderful example of what we'll be talking about tonight. First, historically, as we look in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6, the Bible reads, Then Jonathan said to the young men who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving many or by few. And so his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then, here am I with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand and not go up. Jonathan battled with the Philistines first. Life of the kings, these great campaigns with the Philistines and the, the nation of Israel show how God used them when they were obedient. He gave them the victory in battles. But here, what is beautiful about Jonathan is that he trusted in God. God was going to lead him, and it demonstrates something significant about Jonathan's faith. Now, of course, we read later on in the writings about David and his great battle with the Philistine champion, Goliath. But I want you to see, even at this early stage of their relationship, Jonathan was a man of great faith. He trusted and believed that God would lead them. And so the incredible detail of, of this special relationship uh, between Jonathan and David is laid out so well. We'll turn from here to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and this is going to be the center of our text. Because early in their relationship, as they build this bond together, David is going to remember a promise that he's made to Jonathan. And in that promise, something is going to come out that speaks to us about how we ought to have this relationship with those that we are brethren with, but especially when it comes to our relationship to the Heavenly Father. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the lesson. First Samuel chapter 20 and verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and mine forever. So 
departed and Jonathan went into the city. David and Jonathan made this promise, and especially to uh, David, that David would remember Jonathan and all of his descendants. And that's significant because when Saul and Jonathan die, Jonathan's descendants still have a right to the privileges and to the remembrance and to the honor. And it is up to David to make sure that that will be carried out. Uh, and that's an important thing. In verse 16, it says, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even regret at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him for he loved him as he loved his own. The first thing I want to think about as we begin this study about a place paired with the king is that we ought to look for opportunities to do good. There's something about this relationship between David and Jonathan and what is going to be conveyed to the generations that came after Jonathan had gone on to his reward. They had this bond that lasted even after death. When we think about opportunities to do good, we only see what's in front of us. We don't see long-term how we can show to the people of God, to our community, and to our family, our love for them. You know, it's often said that sometimes people don't receive their flowers until it's their funeral. That's when they receive the kindnesses, the remembrances, the thoughts, what their relationship meant. We are urged, of course, as Christians to show that love, show that love one for another that Jesus showed or has shown unto us. But here we see that. We see that his bond, his love for Jonathan did not just end because he was there in the flesh. It was something deep. It was something meaningful. It was connected. Understand that's important because in the broad scheme of things, we live in a world where people are feeling left out, despised, outside, especially when it comes relationship with God. In our world, in our society, especially here in the United States, the relationship to God for man, for people, Usually is through the church building. And so think about the impact that the, the shutdown, the worldwide pandemic of COVID-19 had because buildings were closed. But thanks be to God for avenues like digital Bible study, where we were able to continue to worship and, and to interact with one another, even in that temporary period. And now having returned back to physical worship, feeling the bond of fellowship, how much more can that we feel now, how much more uh, a part of one another we feel. We feel desired by one another again because we're close. And that absence has made that feeling of closeness even that much more acute because now one another, we can shake hands, we can face, and we don't have that distance between us. Think about how God is trying to convey this through the words of Christ to his disciples and John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That place and that promise that Jesus is making 
he makes to his apostles. He does not want them to feel undesired. He does not want them to feel cast out. He doesn't want them to feel left behind as if that relationship that started when he went to them and said, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Somehow that was now gone. Somehow when Jesus leaves, that's going to be broken. No, he wants them to know this connection is going to remain. Not only that, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? He said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. This bond, this place being prepared, in this context, of course, is the place in heaven, the heavenly reward for which all Christians have that place reserved. Paul mentions it and describes it in this way in Philippians chapter three, verse 20, down to the end of the chapter. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. It's as if there's a permanent marker for you and I, when we obey the gospel, when we've been buried with Christ in baptism, when we've been to the family of God, that place is now reserved and nothing can take it away except we depart from God because of our own sinfulness or because of our own selfishness. But God know and remember, even the world where we feel cast aside. That's why it's so important for us to take the opportunities that are in front of us now to do good and to look to war. How can I do even greater? You know, when we do great works in the local congregation and we have outreach and we have vacation Bible school, we have gospel meetings, and we have opportunities like this through the gospel meeting of the Bible study, those things will continue on. I'm so thankful that we have had the opportunity to record so many great and wonderful preachers of the gospel, so much strong and solid Bible teaching that's now available simply at the click of a mouse that we can go through God's word and be encouraged and be uplifted and have a place to go to study with someone who does not know God and wants to come into that right relationship through obedience to the gospel. This promise and prepare place is not just a place where it's isolated. It's as if it's just one promise only given to me, but it's given to all, all that will believe and all will obey. And we think about all of us have these time periods in our life where we feel like I've done less than. Learning about humility is understanding and respecting my life as it is. It's being honest about those things that I've done or thought or said that fall short of pleasing God, that truly are. And we know that through the blood of Christ, we can find forgiveness of sins if we repent of those things. But the wounds, the scars, someone has described it sometimes as the ghosts of the past, can sometimes come up and, and sometimes make us to feel like God is not going to be opposed to us because of those scars. David was a man like that. Of all the great victories that we read about in 1 Samuel 17 with David and Goliath and how he's described, even by Paul and Barnabas, as a man after God's own heart, we know. And as we go into the book of 2 Samuel, there were great tragedies and great times of failure of character in the life of David. And so David is like many of us. He's capable of great things, mighty victories, but he's also capable of greatness. This is a picture here in 2 Samuel 
39 of the peak of David's life, where he was doing those things at right. And you and I need to take advantage of that. When we're in that right relationship, when we have that zeal, when we have that that sense of connection to God, we need that. Don't think, well, I'm going to have more time or this is going to get. Also, we are subject to the ebb and flow of life and life can bring upon stresses and anxiety and worry and, and just the everyday cares of living that distract us from doing good. And so we are reminded here, take those opportunities to do to all men. Galatians chapter six, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. This household, if you will, is something that we'll reference later. But I want to just make this point here. In the household, there are tables that are prepared for meals. And at that table, we think, well, we're always going to make a little bit extra in case we have a guest. But the members of the household, a place is prepared and set first for the mom, for the dad, for the siblings, for the uh, older parents, whoever is a part of you come first, not to exclude guests, not to exclude others that we help, but you have that right to be there. And when we think about this simple fact, when we obey the gospel, we have a right to the tree of life. And when we don't obey the gospel, then we outsiders looking in and that there is no other way that we can sit and be a part of this blessed place prepared, as Jesus described it, except we be baptized and have our sins washed away and God add us to that family. Anyone else that has not been baptized into Christ, not been added to the family through that burial, they're but a stranger. They're looking on the and yet the Father wants all to come. But what is special about this? Why do we seek these opportunities? And, and what's beautiful about the context here in 2 Samuel 9 is that David will now remember. The opportunity that we have to do good speaks to a couple of things. The first thing it speaks to is friendship. You know, when we care about someone, we ought to show them and tell them by our words, by our thoughts, but especially by our actions. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for things sake? David sought to do good. He was looking for an opportunity. This lineage, this dynasty that we see, the continual faithfulness in this period of David's life, and, and we see the continuity of the kingdom as the forerunner, the, far, the forefather, excuse me, of the Messiah Christ. We also see something special. David remembered that friendship. There are parts of David, I'm sure, he would look at himself and say, I wish I could erase those things. When he looked back over his life and saw the great victories, when he had that mind after God's own heart, and he saw the great tragedies, with a sin with Bathsheba, and then being complicit in the murder of Uriah and the consequence that followed his family, I must have thought, I wish I could go back and change those things. But one thing is important for us to know, God forgives us, but he also accepts us. We are always acceptable and we are always received by God 
if we have a penitent and open heart and to be used. There's no time period in our lives having been forgiven of sin, having sincerely repented that God says, no, your wounds are too great. No, the things that you have done are so severe. I just cannot allow that. I cannot allow you to sit at this table again. No, the forgiveness of God is beautiful. It is pure. It is wonderful. His grace is abundant. His mercy is so full that no matter what we've done, we can have that right to be with him. That friendship, that bond, that's what we have with God. We're connected to him. What we think about ourselves does not necessarily show or prove the foundation of how God views us. God's love for us and his patience with us is much greater, sometimes even, than our love or patience with ourselves. I know many right now, even in my own congregation, that are hurting and they're hurting so bad and they're overcome with the grief and the guilt and feelings of separation or death that they just see it as this insurmountable distance they can't cross. And maybe they come, but they're only there for a little while and they don't feel that connection again in worship. And of course, I want to assure them that we are here with open arms, that God is here with open arms. And this is a personal message to you as well. There's a reason why you tuned in tonight. And maybe you've been feeling but God wants to receive you back. He is looking for that opportunity with you. Here's the next idea, verse two. And there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so when they had called to him, to David, the, the king, he said, are you Ziba? And he says, I'm here at your service. And the king said, is there still not someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness? Of and Ziba said to the king, there's still the son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And so the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Maker, uh, and the king David sent him and brought him to the house of Maker from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, was the son of Saul, he had come and he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said to Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant, verse seven. And so David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, restore you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Here is Mephibosheth. Now, the Bible account that Mephibosheth, when he was five years old, fell and he was made lame. It doesn't tell us specifically, but something happened to his foot or to his ankle that he was lame. He was no longer able to stand and walk and run and have that sense of stateliness that a son of the king would have deserved or would have been uh, by. And sometimes even as a Christian, you know, we may feel like a sin has made us less useful. We may feel like there's some lives that uh, we don't know enough or we don't have the confidence uh, or we don't have the boldness to speak up. And because of those things, we narrow this field that can be used. And yet the Bible says, and God says, the work of God is abundant. Are we not like the parable of the talents, where the one was given five, another two, and another one? But those who use the talents, God blessed them with more, and the one who hid the talents, even that which he had, God took it away because he didn't consider it useful. Here, Mephibosheth came and said, I'm here and I'm ready. 
that takes humility. It, it takes a sense of looking at oneself and even though I may not feel like I'm good enough, I, I may not feel like I my life stood time. How can I be faithful to God for the rest of my life? But that's recognizing the power is not in me, it's in God. Secondly, look at not only friendship, but the fellowship. See, the opportunity to do good meets with an opportune time. The time to, is now to be active and to serve. David wanted to do something and he wanted to do it now. He wanted to, uh, to connect that promise that he made to Jonathan to a descendant. He wanted to use that as an opportunity to honor him. He says to him in these beautiful words, do not fear for I will surely show you kindness for your father, Jonathan's sake. An opportune time to do good is to remember. Sometimes we have to see people above the way they see themselves. Here's a good example. You pray for your enemies. Now, the Bible tells us that we are to pray for those who uh, curse, despitefully use us. We are allowed the, the vengeance of the Lord not to seek our own vindictiveness, not to be not to have thoughts of, of vengeance toward them. But do we pray in those opportunities to do it? Do we see them above? Am I just waiting for someone to come to me and say I need help? Or am I really seeking them out? And when I do that, even when it's an inconvenience, even when it's a, a something that's that's caused me to really be taxed, do I really seek that opportunity to go outside of myself and to put them first? It may be an opportunity with a brother or sister in Christ. It may be an opportunity with a coworker. It may be an opportunity uh, with someone from your past. When we show the love and the kindness and the compassion and the patience of God with someone who desperately needs it, who will look at us and say, why are you doing this to me? And you're not going to get anything out of it. When we do it sincerely, that's when we show this kind of love. That's when we show that affection that Jesus has shown. That's something that we must have, notwithstanding that in our world, it's surprising. It's something that people are just shocked to see. Why would you do something when A, either I can't repay it, B, we don't get along, we're not in a good, healthy place. Or lastly, you just are doing this out of the goodness of your heart. That is something that is just sadly foreign in our society, but it ought not to be among those who love. We ought to be the first to seek to ask for help and to seek those opportunities to do something so that someone understands the connection you're not forgotten. David took this opportunity to look at one who was the descendant, essentially, of an end. This great relationship he had with Jonathan was not removed from the fact that Saul sought to kill him. Saul sought to uh, destroy him because of his jealousy, because of the great victories at that time that David received in God. And because of Saul's own and arrogance, and because of his dishonesty, he suffered. He suffered, and his son suffered, but David remembered and honored. He had this kind 
of respect to look above and beyond. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love believes all things, bears all things, endures all things. It implies that we are to give people always the benefit of the doubt. We're always to think the very best and not think negatively. And that's a goal of love. Now, man, I'm working at that. I haven't achieved that yet, but I seek to do that. I seek to be the one to say, I'm always looking for the good in you and not looking for you to show me hurt or disrespect or have a negative or or evil motive behind what you're doing, because that's the attitude of Christ. Matthew 5 uh, and verse uh, 43, you know, Bible describes our attitude in this beautiful way. You have heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends his reign on the just and the unjust. Here's the next idea. Do good for someone who can't repay it. Do good for someone that you know cannot do the same in return. Sometimes what motivates is the phrase, what's in it for me? Go out and do something, but only if I'm going to get something out of it. We're human, and sometimes we do fall to that temptation. But our first mindset as a Christian ought to be, I want to do good to someone just because I want them to be thought of. And we recently had the privilege to I speak at a local congregation here. I was leaving out of the building. My sister gave me words of encouragement, but she also gave me a card. She didn't know what that meant for me at that moment. She didn't know how much I needed to see those words. And, and it was just a thoughtful, personal, encouragement. Things like that are opportunities that we have. Now, she didn't know. I'm sure she saw others as I was standing at the back of the church building, as is the custom of preachers, shaking my hand and smiling and, and having positive affirmations for us and that I did. But that personal moment, remembering that she took the time to personally write something, it was very special. We can do those little things and we don't know the impact that it might have on the soul of someone else. We see that in the heart of Christ. Jesus, to help and to show and connect with us as individuals, as human beings. Luke chapter 14, verse 12 says this. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the the lame, the blind, and you will be because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's an attitude of continual gratitude that we show, not only to our family, not only to our friends, not only to those in the local congregation, but also to those we come in contact with. Every place that we are, when we're out in society, when we're on our jobs, when we're out in our neighborhood, are we thinking and showing this beautiful attitude? Does the gospel show that you're reaching out? You know, in your own congregation, you can look around. Do you see people of the same socioeconomic status? Do you see people of the same race? 
Do you see people with the same education? Is that similar to your community? Are there others that you could be reaching out to that are just out of reach or out of touch? That's an honest question to ask. And when you're asking that question, the answer ought to be, what can I do more? If, the, if that is the occasion, if that is the circumstance of your congregation, if that's the circumstance of your relationship with your friends, with the people that your children and your spouse interact with, you can make a decision to change that. You can reach out to those who may be at a distance. You can be that bridge by which they connect back to God. You know, there's something special here in Second Samuel 9 as we draw uh, to our last idea. And that's the fact that in four different instances, God is showing not only his love, but his connection to the and particularly what David says to Mephibosheth. He says to Mephibosheth, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for within your father's sake. So he says kindness and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. You shall eat continually at my table. And then he bowed himself and he said, what is that you should look upon such as a dead dog as I? Mephibosheth saw himself as totally useless. Not the same context as we think of today. You have a family pet that you love, and, and he's not saying as in a, something gruesome, or, but just usefulness. In this time period of agriculture, where they had working dogs that would be useful in, in care of uh, the flock and protecting it, he's comparing himself in that way. I can't do anything to repay. I can't even represent myself as a son of a king, why would you do this for me? And the Bible says, when the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant said, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. You shall bring in the harvest for your son may have, may have food to eat. Zibosheth, your master's son, shall eat at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. You see, Mephibosheth had the right to the table, but all of the descendants had to be provided for as well. And there was abundant provision made. Friends, we ought to have that opportunity to do good because a place is prepared for you with the king. Mephibosheth and David, they've gone on. But now I want us to just think about in these last few minutes, the relationship between you as a Christian and your heavenly father. Jesus said a place is prepared not just for the apostles, but now for us as those who have faith that they showed in remembering and looking upon this as the physical person of Jesus in the flesh, they heard his voice, how we indirectly and hear the same voice saying for us, a place is prepared for you. But if you're not a Christian, if you're outside the body of Christ, there is no place. There's no place that you can find the love that comes that is unselfish. There's no place that you can find an deserving patience and grace. And the Bible says that God's for patience, but his patience has a limit. And that limit is when we enter into eternity without being in the right relationship with him because we've obeyed the gospel. And what a sad condition that is. To have had this place, a permanent relationship in the household of God, this great feast bounty that God provides and have turned aside to sin and turned aside to a hardness of heart, denying 
all of the blessings of God because we simply won't surrender our heart and either repent if we're already members of the body or obey the gospel and become a part of his family. Revelation chapter 7 verse 14 says this, so I said to him, my Lord, you know, the answer. and then he said to me, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Revelation 22, 14, blessed are those who are washed robes so they can have access to the tree of life. They can enter into the city gates. Having our robe washed, it represents cleansing of sin, but also represents the purity with which God now sees us. He wrote his promise. He remembers that love. He sees us, that there's this permanent replace. As we mentioned earlier in the lesson, you know, you, you leave a little bit extra for guests. You leave a little bit of room for those that may come unbeknownst to you. When you prepare a meal for your loved ones, you make sure they have a place first. That's how God sees us. We are the first uh, blessings and and preparations that have been made with the king and what a worthy place that is. There's nothing that we could do to replace God for all that he's done for us. Not blessings, not grace, not his mercy, and certainly not the forgiveness of sins. They have all of our sins washed away. And then even when we find ourselves entangled in sin anew, we can have that repented. We can repent of it and have it forgiven. We can have it washed again. First John chapter one, verse seven through nine, and we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. The blood of Christ cleanses us of all sin. What a beautiful account this is of the relationship, firstly, of the friendship and the love and affection that was pure in heart between Jonathan and David, an enemy of his father, but the closest person in his life. And that David was a man that remembered his promise. He remembered that promise to Jonathan and to his descendant, even one that saw himself as less than worthy, even as one who had who saw himself as having uh, no place at, with the king and, and his bounty and the rights that were given through birth. David remembered. What a blessing that is to know that God remembers us, even when we're hurting, even and outside of his grace, he remembers, he receives. Here's the last idea. David remembered Mephibosheth because he had the birthright. He was a direct descendant bloodline of John. We now have been adopted as sons. We're not a part of the physical bloodline, but we've been adopted into that great promise that God made as recorded in Genesis chapter 12. Through the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, that Aramaic phrase of affection that those Greeks being speaking Christians understood. We have this relationship. It's as if we are part of God's own bloodline. Romans chapter 8, verse 23, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption that comes to the spirit. Verse uh, Chapter 9, verse 4, to whom pertaineth the adoption for the glory and the covenant. We are a part of God being grafted in to the vine. John chapter 15, Jesus being the vine and we are the branches. We've been adopted. We
and to prepare for you with the king. Won't you receive that place? If you're hurting, if you're struggling with sin, won't you repent? If you're not a member of the body of Christ, won't you ask the questions? Whatever is weighing heavy on your heart, won't you clear those things? Bible was written in a way that we can understand it for ourselves and seeking those answers, getting those questions answered that you might obey the gospel, be added to the kingdom and receive that place prepared with the king. Thank you. Brother Todd, thank you, sir. Thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, My honor privilege, brother. Yes, sir. The account of Mephibosheth is always a, a very interesting one, a very heartwarming one. Uh, as you did so well chronicling tonight, the, the juxtaposition of him and David and their positions and um, uh, how he sees himself and David's position and David's kindness. I mean, that's just fantastic stuff. And to parallel that with us and Jesus, uh, that's just wonderful, man. Fantastic job. And we sure appreciate you being with us tonight. Well, it's my honor and privilege. Um, before I go, I don't want to forget one of our members, uh, Brother James Cothran. He fell uh, this past Lord's Day and uh, severely hurt his knee. Um, and uh, he's recovering, but he's going to have to have surgery. And so if you'll remember James Cothran, C-O-T-H-R-A-N. Yes, sir. We sure will remember James. And uh, we'll certainly be praying for him. Um, can't help as we consider some of these prayers tonight and as we have prayed frequently in the past uh, that that place next to the king ultimately is eternal. Amen. This situation of loss and pain and suffering will thankfully one day cease uh, and give way to glory at some point. And what, yeah, what, yes, what a beautiful picture, especially in, in the wake of uh, so much that, that's happened in our nation recently, even here uh, in the state of Texas, so much loss and pain and, and to know that we, we serve a full of love and, and so ready to heal if we'll just reach out to them. Yes, sir. Well, Jay, I didn't know if you wanted to add anything. I didn't want to dominate no. the conversation. But. Uh, you're, you're, doing, you're doing your job, man. Uh, but hey, Todd, appreciate you, man. Thank you for coming on. Uh, let me just echo what Erica said. Just a uh, very interesting passage. One of probably, probably one we overlook more than we should uh, from the life of David. Uh, but I do appreciate it. I think it's probably the first lesson we've had in 445 nights on Mephibosheth. Uh, so wow. uh, that's getting tough to do is find something nobody's covered yet to talk about. But you did it. And it, it's uh, I'm glad you did, because uh, if anybody out there was not familiar with that story, I hope they have been uh, uh, well informed about it, but also encouraged by the lessons you drew from it. Man, thank, thank you for doing it. And thank you for the, the work that you do and your love for the Lord. Appreciate that so much, Jonathan. And just remember just I know many began at the beginning here to say I'm going to read through the Bible and this is that time of year where a lot of us are on Genesis chapter six <laughs> so it's okay you're still in Genesis chapter six keep going because a year from now you'll have fulfilled your uh, your goal and these accounts you know the, the Bible is just so rich with wisdom for us and when we can uh, read through the full Bible and see these accounts it just uh, further establishes our faith yes sir Yes sir. Well, yes, sir. Well, we appreciate you, brother. We need to get going because we do have another show coming up here in about five or six minutes. So uh, we'll say good night to you here. Uh, and we look forward to having you back when we yes, get sir. the next opportunity, brother. Shout out All to right. Rose Graydon. Give her our best. Got to. The very best part of me. Absolutely. Thank you for that. <laughs> we appreciate you, Rose. Yes, sir. And
So glad to be there. Micah and Noah. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. Y'all take care. Love y'all. Love you too, brother. That's a, a good point he made right there at the end, man. If you're if you're stuck on January 6th, start now, you'll be done a year from now. Uh, you don't have to wait to January 1st to start one of those plans. You can start any day of the year. They will wrap around for you, you know. <laughs> Just keep going. Just keep going. Just um, well, we got the one that he just put in, um, and then obviously one for himself uh, with his heart conditions. Good news on that. Uh, Trish didn't actually ask for a prayer, but there was some discussion about her uh, house hunting that we prayed about the other night, so thought we might mention that as well. Uh, and then the only other one I saw was from Douglas, uh, who, um, oh, actually one just popped up here a second ago from Jewel, I think. Uh, well, Douglas is saying that he's getting nauseated. Uh, every time that he eats. And I don't know if that's related to some of the other issues that Douglas has had uh, been going on. Um, oh, Jewel was asking prayers for her family. Um, one of her cousins, George, uh, took his own life. So let's remember, remember George and that, the Pender family as well. Okay, I was, uh, I'm going to add one of the members here. You would know her well. Sherry's family is, Sherry oh, and yeah. her family is in need of prayer. I was with her and her husband and son this afternoon and um, Sister Rini, uh, Ellington, and Anne-Marie. We'll add them to the prayer list as well. And Sherry. Yeah. Eric is being very gracious and not announcing that Sherry is my sister-in-law. <laughs> I was not going to say that. <laughs> that's a good catch there, man. I appreciate the discretion too. That's that's nice of you. You're nicer than I am. Yes, sir. Glad to glad to do that for you. Well, let's pray together if that's everybody. Our loving Father in heaven, glory and honor be given to your holy and righteous name. Father, it is such a joy to be your children so thankful and grateful that you loved us so so thankful father for the creation that manifests your wisdom declares your glory shouts aloud to every tongue and language throughout the world that you are we are so grateful and thankful for your word that can convert our soul to draw us close to your bosom to let us know who you are your character the great love and mercy and compassionate god that you are eternally good and that has so been so evidenced to the world and to us. We're thankful, Father, for Brother Todd and his life of commitment to you and to your cause, to the preaching of the gospel of your dear son. We pray for Rose and Micah and Noah and the entire family, that you'll bless them and be with them. Thankful for Todd's improved health and pray that he will continue to improve and uh, do those things that are prescribed by the doctor that his health may continually get better. We are mindful of many tonight, Father. We are mindful of the Jenkins family, Sherry and all of her family, her sister. And we just pray that you will bless her, Father, with the condition of her mom and her sister, Anne-Marie and Rini. We just pray that you will bless them and be with them. Pray that they will be comforted, free of pain, uh, as they deal with some very challenging uh, matters of health and just pray that you'll bless them and their entire family. We are prayerful, Father, for James Cochran, who fell 
We pray that his health can be restored and improved and pray that he'll uh, be able to recover from, from that fall. Uh, mindful also of Trish, who is house hunting, and pray that that will be a success for her and that all will be well there and that uh, she will use that, that home, Father, to your glory and to your honor, uh, to be of service to others, and uh, pray that it will bless her family as well. Mindful of Douglas tonight, who's dealing with nausea, and pray that you'll bless him in all the health issues that he has. Uh, we are very, very sad on behalf of Jewel, and we pray for her and for her entire family. Uh, the loss of life is is one thing, and, and, and those who take their lives, that, that's another challenge altogether. And so we just pray that you'll bless that family and be with them. Uh, we're also mindful of those who have been uh, harmed and lost lives because of the shootings that have been around our nation recently. Just pray for those families all of those first responders, uh, the police officers, nurses, doctors, and everyone who was involved with trying to care and provide some level of aid to, to those who have suffered such, such a difficult and tragic time in their life. Father, we know that you are and that you are good. And we pray that we will not judge you based on the condition of our lives or the conditions of our world or the actions of men, but that we will rest confident in your goodness, your care, your love, your mercy, demonstrated and evident by the cross of Christ that ultimately will save our souls and provide us a home for you in heaven. We pray that we will rest on that, trust in that, live and hope of that to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Right, thank you for that, sir. Um, yeah, Sherry's mom, I think, is... 96 years old, if I'm not mistaken. So, yes. A nice long life, and her family's done a lot of good. Uh, and Sherry, Sherry's sister, Aunt Marie, has Down syndrome and is well past 50 at this point, which I understand is fairly unusual for, for that condition. So uh, Aunt Marie is a fighter herself. So keep them in your prayers as you did. Thank you for that, sir. Um, Let's see what we have here. Let me, I saw on the YouTube side, Hey put in a $9.99 super sticker. Thank you, Hey. And over here on the Facebook side, we have, um, we have Sobrono with 50 stars. Thank you, Sobrono. We've got Patsy with 100 stars. Thank you, Patsy. And we have Claudette with 200 stars. Thank you, Claudette. And that'll bring us up to speed on all of those things. Um, we'll have uh, Tony Brewer here in just a second. We're a couple minutes past the top of the hour, so we will hurry along to not eat up too much of his time tonight. But um, uh, a couple things. Uh, tomorrow, of course, is Wednesday, so Connect is off. Uh, Thursday, Greg Dismuke will uh, be back with us. Um, that it, you shook your head. Is that not right? Better be Greg. Yes, that's what I, kind of was, I was in agreement. I'm sorry. I was okay. Not all right. Involved. That was one of those cross nods. You know, I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Greg will be back with us on Thursday. So looking forward to that. Uh, of course, from the deep end will be on um, uh, tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. We have just begun, uh, started a study of um, uh, Second Peter uh, earlier this week, or First Peter rather, earlier this week, and we've done two days, and we're still in verse number one. So we haven't missed many verses yet. So Feel free to jump right in whenever you get the chance. Um, and then uh, LaBeth Brewer will be on Wednesday. 
Uh, don't forget, we have already announced uh, the Spanish language gospel meeting that is being directed by Marlon Rotana. Um, that will be coming up the week of June, I guess next week, the week of June 13th through the 17th. That's Monday through Thursday. Um, and that will be running for uh, two hours a night, eight o'clock and nine o'clock Eastern. And Digital Bible Study is going to help host that. I have not, the the, uh, the advertisement for that is uh, on our Facebook page and on our locals page. Uh, there is another Spanish language show starting Friday. Uh, I will put out the advertisement for that probably in the morning on both our Facebook and our locals page. So uh, try to separate those things out. It's real easy to lose track of stuff on our Facebook page because our timeline gets, when we do five or six videos in a day, each video puts up two posts, the announcement and then the actual post. So we get 12 or 15 posts sometimes on our Facebook timeline and it's tough to find stuff. So um, I'm putting it up tomorrow morning and then put it on the locals page. If you're on locals, it's shareable over there and usually a little easier to find uh, on the locals page. So I invite you to go over there and take a look at it. Uh, so we need to, as I said, wrap it up. we got Tony sitting in the wings. I think that is all I have. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Yes, just very quickly. It's not something we need to talk about. I just want to mention it again. We talked earlier in the week or late last week about uh, a Friday conversation about the church. And so mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to ask you if you could uh, maybe get uh, schedule a few people for us to talk about the church. Uh, I, I'd when, work on an outline, of course, but something we could talk about. When would you like to start that? Not, not that I have this Friday open or anything, but when would you like to talk about that? Because <laughs> if you do, then this Friday would be fine. If you don't, then the next Friday would be fine. Okay. Uh, yeah, listen, open. That would be great. Uh, we'll, we'll put something together here real fast. Um, but uh, looking forward to that. Be a good discussion. Um, and with that, let's go ahead and say good night to everybody and let Tony have the room. Um, as always, it is our prayer that you will go out and make your day a great, great one for God. And Cogitations starts in 30 seconds. Thank you, everybody. What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter to my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about a very specific scenario concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and <clears throat> specifically how the church deals with it. Uh, this is actually a holdover. Uh, Aaron Dotson and I have started a new show on Tuesdays at, uh, I always, I always mess up, hold on, 12 o'clock my time, 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock Central. And any other time zone from that, y'all are just going to have to figure that out. But it's 11 Eastern, 10 o'clock Central, and uh, it's called Christianity Now. And the idea is we want to talk about timely things.
things that are affecting the brotherhood now, uh, current events, even, uh, not that we're going to get political or anything like that, but, uh, you know, we have a lot of issues facing the church today and we want to, we want to talk about them. And incidentally, uh, that, that program has looked, the feedback has been amazing. Uh, one of the ways you can gauge whether or not it's good is, uh, we had a, the first introductory show. It was a pretty good, pretty good show. It was well attended, but then, uh, we had, I think we might've peaked at 30, maybe 28, 29, uh, live stream, 29 people in the live stream on a, on a, on 11 AM, 10 AM time slot. So that's amazing. Anyway, we were going to talk about this, but we didn't have enough time. And I told Aaron, I said, I'll, I'll do this on a cogitations podcast. But the more I got to thinking about it, I said, well, I'll just do this for this evening. So anyway, um, here we go. Good evening, everybody. And before we get into this, I'll, I'll go through the, the folks here. Good to see everybody. Uh, Missy Malone, Scott Wall, Diana Harden. Good to see you. Deborah O'Neill, Missy Malone, um, Elaine McClung, Christy Woodall's here. Good evening. Kate, Katie Smith and uh, Gita is here. Good to see her. Uh, Jenny Blackwell. You know what? Now that I've said that, I hope it is a her since I've said a her. I can't remember. Um, and I can't see the little, I can't see the little, uh, icon for her or his, I guess, now that I'm all in my head. Um, I can't see the picture. Uh, Jenny Blackwell, good to see you. Marie Harris, Wayne Vaughn, good evening. Connie Barden, good evening. Deb Hillard from Hamilton, Ontario. And then Connie Barden, uh, the name again is Christianity Now, and uh, it comes on at uh, 11 Eastern. Connie, I believe that would be 10 a.m. your time. And uh, Paulette is watching from the Bell Chass Church of Christ in Louisiana. And Shauna Locke, the N is silent. Shauna Locke, good evening. Vicki McLean, good to see you. And uh, Katie Smith, please add my mom to... Jenny to your prayer list. She is in the hospital trying to figure out what's going on. Katie, I will do that. And, uh, and, and I, I, I'll definitely keep your mama in our prayer. Uh, merci. Good vibes. And then Claudette Penn. Hello, Tony. All right. I have made it to where I can share my screen. So let's do that. All right. Uh, Wayne Vaughn said, try to go to digitalbiblestudy.locals.com and it will let me or it won't let me. Uh, here's here's what you can do. If it won't let you, Wayne, um, go to uh, go to locals.com and just search for digital Bible study. But this digitalbiblestudy.locals.com should get you there. I don't know. I don't know why it wouldn't. Uh, it's, it's, it's the way I go there. So. In fact, um, just, just, to to make sure. All right. I go locals.com and let me search digital. I got to put your cursor in D I G I T A L by digital Bible study. And then, then Eric and, and Jonathan's picture comes up. And so we're going to click there 
Now it asks me, don't have a locals account yet? Sign up. Well, I'm already a member, so I'm just going to log in. And so I do my little fingerprint because my computer has a fingerprint thing. And now I'm there. And I'm going to. All right. Yeah. Digitalbiblestudy.locals.com. I'm going to copy this. I'm going to X out of here. All right. Wayne says, got it. Okay. Good deal. I'll just, I'll just put that in the comment section anyway. All right. Here we go. Notice what's on the screen. Let me read this. I would just like to know some perspective from outside, from an outside source. We have a person new to our assembly, maybe one year. The church is allowing him to do announcements. His wife is on her fourth marriage and him, his second, was told the elders spoke with them and they confirmed they were in good scriptural standing. Elders took their word for it. Several members know for a fact that this is false. Who is responsible for providing the truth? And should he be allowed to continue to serve during church services? It is causing a lot of whispering among the members. So I just want to talk about this because, man, let me tell you something. This is multifaceted and this is real. I mean, like this is, I'm, I'm this, this is from a person who posts in the We Talk Truth group. Uh, the We Talk Truth group is a group that I started a couple of years ago, maybe three now, that is for asking questions and stuff like that. Notice their name is not there. I don't put their, I don't put any, I, I, in other words, I, I might take a screenshot like this from the group but I always edit the identity. So whenever you post something in the group, it typically stays in, it, it stays in the group unless I do something like this and I, and I, and I protect your identity. Now, here's the thing. I want to talk first about, well, the, the marriage, divorce and remarriage issue. Listen, that's so cut and dry. Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry and marrieth another, except it be for fornication, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her that has been put away doth also commit adultery. That's easy. It's cut and dry. Now, there is a scenario that I can think of in my mind where a woman could be on her fourth marriage and a, and a man be on his second, and they would be married to one another. In other words, um, really and truly, this would mean that the wife would have had three husbands before her current husband and the husband would have had one wife before his current wife, okay? And uh, in other words, they don't have six divorces between them. They they have six marriages between them. Now, I know that doesn't sound like much of a difference, but so think about the wife. Let's say she marries young, and let's say her husband, her, her very first husband that she got married to in their 20s, high school sweethearts, uh, he gets out, he goes crazy, and he cheats on her, and she divorces him for fornication. Then she marries someone else, and quite frankly, she might not be very good at picking spouses, and he fornicates, and she puts him away. And then this third person that she married, maybe they're getting a little bit up in age now, and the third person she marries, lo and behold, maybe has a heart attack and dies. And then now she's on her fourth marriage with this current husband. Well, she has a right to be married. 
even though she's on her fourth marriage. Just because somebody is on their fourth marriage does not mean that they don't have a scriptural right to, to remarry. Now, think about this second, the, the, the one husband who's on his second marriage. Well, he's only been married twice then. He could have married his high school sweetheart, and she could have cheated on him, and he put her away, or she could have died. And then now his second marriage is with this current woman that's on her fourth marriage. Does that make sense? Deb Hibbert hit it on the head. MDR is such a controversial topic in the church. Unfortunately, it is us who complicate things when we change our views because we're close to those involved in such situations. And um, complicate is the key word. I know I know she's, she's absolutely correct. And I've seen people, let me tell you something. I've seen people be hard-nosed for the truth. I mean, talk. I'm talking standing strong as horseradish on the truth. But when it's their, when it's their child, when it's their best friend, they they relax, they change their views, and I've seen that, and that is terrible. Um, it it's it's very difficult now. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't know that I want to focus on the marriage these marriages, all right? I think what I would like to focus on is how the church is dealing with this. Um, oh, good good point, Connie Barden. It's hard to get at the truth sometimes because unless you know the people on a personal basis, you pretty much have to rely on them to tell the truth. I know a lady who outlived three husbands and was still young enough to remarry if she chose to. Isn't that the truth? And wouldn't that be sad? Let me tell you something. This is um, th this is just my personal. Uh, uh, I wouldn't call it a scruple. I would just I would just think that if I outlive three women, I might start thinking that I just might not need to be married. You know, maybe I was bad luck for these women. <laughs> you know, um, also if I kept choosing women that cheated, you know, may maybe maybe there's something wrong with me, and. Um, and Claudette Penn says, we should make God be the judge. Well, okay, so that's a good point, but actually we cannot because we have commanded to be the, we are commanded to be the judge in this situation. And let me, let me tell you what I mean. Uh, John chapter seven, uh, well, let's just flip over there. Um, and you know what? I can't think, I think it's John seven along about verse 12. Nope. Where is John seven? Judge not, yeah, right there, verse 24. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge a righteous judgment. So we have to judge. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Okay, so we we are responsible for, in fact, let's go to let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and notice something. We are responsible for the purity of the body uh, collectively. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 16. Know ye not that ye, ye, that ye, the King James uses ye, that's plural. This is talking about collectively the body. This is not talking about an individual. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. All right? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So we are responsible for keeping the temple pure. 
and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Plus, let's lick our fingers and turn left and go to Romans chapter 1 and notice a principle here. Um, Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, if if those people who do such things in sexual immorality, fornication, adultery, that would be listed in those things, they're guilty and worthy of death. But even if you don't participate in those things, if you just take pleasure in those who do, and you might think, well, Tony, I don't, I don't take pleasure in, um, I don't take pleasure in somebody who's committing fornication. Well, that's not really true. You take pleasure in those who commit fornication if you don't say something because the pleasure you take is not having to step up and have a, have a terrible and awkward confrontation. The pleasure you take is not potentially losing a friend. The pleasure you take is not potentially being ostracized by a group of your peers who would want to accept that behavior where you're not able to. So we, the, the, the principle is, even though, and I make this point often, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and following, judge not that you be not judged, for with what, for with what judgment ye judge, that judgment shall be meet unto you. you. In other words, you're going to be judged by the same judgment you judge others. And so I always say, listen, I don't want to be judged very harshly. So I'm accused by a lot of my peers of being very liberal. However, I'm accused by other people of being a radical conservative and a bully. And Tony, I just can't believe you. You're making such a big deal over. I make a big deal and I'm very bully when it comes to where God has legislated. I am very loose and liberal where God hasn't legislated. But when it comes to where God has legislated, I will, I'll draw a line on the sand. I will plant my feet in the ground and I will not move one inch because I'm commanded to. That's, you know, that's the thing. So, um, but good, good comments here. And I want to get in, I want to get to some of these, uh, I want to get to some of these comments, but I just wanted to make sure that we understood that this congregation and this eldership has a responsibility to, if these people's marriage are in question, that they have a responsibility to be like, okay, boom, we have to investigate this. And um, Wesley Simons, I've heard him preach, and he talks about this. And there's ways to investigate. Like one, you can you can go to somebody and say, hey, uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 9 says, now are you guilty of this? Well, well, no, we're not guilty of this. We're fine. Okay, you know, glad to have you in our fellowship. That's not being good. That's not being righteous judges. Um, you don't, you don't feed them information. Like I can, I can talk to somebody who's guilty and uh, I can feed them the proper information and I can get them to give me the answers that I want them to give that where they would be affirming innocence whenever their heart would be, uh, heavy and they would affirm their guilt in order their godly sorrow would have them affirm their guilt in order for them to repent. So we've got to be careful in these situations. In other words, if somebody has, um, if somebody has, uh, if somebody has an issue 
where um, it's it's their marriage is questionable, and you come up and say, hey, you know, um, Matthew chapter nineteen nine says this, and are you guilty of this? Uh, is, is your marriage scriptural? They're going to well, no, my marriage is my or uh, no, I'm not guilty of this. My marriage is scriptural. And I'll, I'll give you an example of of a person that I was talking to that had a misunderstanding from the other perspective. He was convinced this, this kid was 20 years old, 22, 23. And he was convinced he was going to have to live as a eunuch for the kingdom for the rest of his life because he put his wife away for irreconcilable differences. He just said there were differences that we had and we just couldn't work it out. There were problems that we had and they were causing problems in our marriage and we couldn't work it out. And I took his word for it. And for two or three months we'd been studying and, and, and everything come to find out, I finally asked him, well, you know, t- tell me, he said something. And I'm, I'm like, well, wait a second. I said, listen, I don't mean to, to open up a can of worms here, but would you tell me exactly what the irreconcilable differences were that caused you to put away your wife? And I'm not joking with a straight face and with, with, with genuineness. He said, well, I worked at this factory at whatever shift. And on Fridays, whenever I would leave for my long shift, she would call a buddy of mine and he would come over and they would have sex together. <laughs> I'm like, I said, do you know what fornication is? So we, we studied Matthew chapter 19, nine, but if I would have never asked him the right questions, I, I, I would have never gotten the right information from him. And he might be, he might continue to be a eunuch for the kingdom for the rest of his life. Same way with these, with this, with this couple here, if an eldership sits down and they don't ask the right questions, they might, they might give someone the impression that they're fine in their marriage and they don't have to make a change. All right. Now, um, so I I don't want to talk so much about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. There is a couple of questions in the comment section I want to address. Um, and listen, I'm going to go right to these and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shun, shunning, shunning. They don't seem like the right word. I'm not overlooking anybody else. I will, I will get to you as we can, but I want to look at this one. Um, I have heard this rationale as well. Uh, question to ask, does one bat, does baptism wash away a sinful marriage? One that is not recognized by God. And of course, you know, the answer is no. Um, what God joins together, let no man put asunder. Um, it doesn't wash away the marriage. It washes away the guilt of the sin of being in a marriage God doesn't recognize. So here's the way I had to explain it to one man who was sitting in my office that couldn't wrap his mind around this. I said, look, if you, if you're in an adulterous marriage, you're committing adultery, you're guilty of the sin of adultery then you change your mind about that sin. That's repenting. Then you go down into the baptistry. Let's say you go down into the baptistry on a Monday morning and you come up out of the baptistry and you're completely washed from that sin. You are no longer guilty of committing adultery. But then you run right back home to the same adulterous marriage. You're guilty again. You you go back into that adulterous relationship. Baptism washes away sin. It does not allow you to continue the action that caused you to be in sin in the first place. 
Sin is very formulaic. Read the, read the book of James, chapter 1. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Uh, when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And lust conceives and brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Lust, desire, has to conceive with something. That is an action. So your desire conceives, copulates with an action, and the progeny of that is sin. So you have a desire. You, you've washed away your sins, and as you leave the church building, after you've been baptized, you have a desire to go back and be with that woman with whom you had an adulterous relationship. So you take action based on that, and now you're in sin all over again. So the the question does uh, does um, baptism hold on a second does baptism wash away a sinful marriage? No, it washes away the sin that you're guilty of because you have been in a sinful marriage, and in order to to keep from being a recidivist which is a $5 way of saying to keep from being a repeat offender, then you have to get out of that marriage. Good, good, good comment there. And there's one other one right here. Would you, dis would you discuss the so-called Pauline privilege too? Deb, I don't have enough time, I think, in this podcast to discuss fully the Pauline privilege. I'll give an overview of it. Basically, the Pauline privilege carried out to its farthest extent is if your wife, it, I teach from a male's perspective because I'm a man. If you're a woman and your husband is incapacitated and not able to fulfill his duties to the marriage in a sexual way, or if you're a, if you're a, a husband and your wife is incapacitated and she's not able to fulfill her duties uh, to the marriage in a sexual way, Pauline privilege is, uh, and this supposedly is a teaching from first Corinthians chapter seven is that you can go out and you can take another woman and, and, and you're, you can dissolve that marriage because of that. And that's an overview. That's an oversimplification. Um, if you really want to learn about the Pauline privilege, go to some, uh, go, go to some sources that teach from a Catholic perspective. And there's a lot of Catholic dogma on the Pauline privilege, but, when you, when you take an exegesis of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul teaches the exact same thing as the Lord. He reiterates Matthew chapter 19, 9, and then he says, if your unbelieving spouse departs, let them. They were never under that kind of bondage, which is the bondage of a douloi, a doulos, the, the slave. But if they want to stay, then, then let them stay, because as a Christian, you can be married to a non-believer. But if they depart, you got to remain unmarried because the only way to dissolve a marriage is because of fornication. And I have to be very clear here. It's fornication, not adultery. Jesus does not say, whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for adultery. It's fornication. The word is pornea in the Greek. And without getting too colorful, just it's pornea means things you do with a prostitute. Adultery 
I can commit adultery by committing fornication, but I can also commit adultery in other ways. But the only way that I can put my spouse away or my spouse can put me away and be eligible to remarry is if fornication is committed. So anyway, good, good stuff here. Um, let me see here. Um, yeah, what, what I've heard in two situations is that one or both were baptized after they married the second time. So they are forgiven of the first marriage, no matter why they divorced. Yeah, that's a, that's a rough one, Deborah. And, uh, Loretta Simon says, Tony, I like your, I like your point of view. And, uh, to what Connie said earlier, she said those two that she talked about died in accident. One died in an accident. No, two died in accidents and one from cancer. That's rough. And uh, good evening, Douglas Connerly and Scott Wall. Good to see you. And, um, now my, yeah, my analogy is usually if you steal a man's horse and become a Christian, do you get to keep the man's horse or do you give it back? Wonderful analogy. And I would go to Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus climbed that sycamore tree and what did Jesus called him to repentance? And he understood that repentance, uh, in order to bring forth fruit, then this is Acts 26, 10. Let me make sure that's Acts 26, 10. That don't sound right. 26, 20. Yeah, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. So Zacchaeus was called to repent. He repented. He turned to God. Now he's got to do works commensurate with that repentance. And what did he do? Well, he was a wicked publican. He, he went back through his ledger and he returned all of the money he had stole and uh, he actually returned more than that, which he wasn't required to do that. But anyway, um, so good stuff. Good, good stuff, Deb. And uh, Wayne Vaughn says, just like the person that looks at a woman and lust after her commits adultery. Yes. And I would, so that's Matthew chapter five. And I would really be super, super specific with that verse, Wayne. Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. You can, and just because I, okay, I've said this time and time again, I'm a man. And as a man, I'm built like a man. God has made me to be turned on by what I see. So if I see an attractive woman and she's scantily clad, I'm going to have a, 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 a psychosomatic response. I'm going to, I'm going to, my biologically, my body's going to react to that, whether it's my wife or not. If I see that, which Man, come, you know, run around up here in Canada, run around up here in, in, in Moncton and Riverview. Uh, the, the fashion now is to wear what's called little, uh, little booty shorts that ride way up the booty and, and have little skirts on over it. That's real tight. So when you walk that skirt and, and they want to see the, 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 the bottom few inches of butt cheek hanging out and I've got to be careful where I put my eyes. Now, just because I see that doesn't mean I'm in sin. But now if I look at it for the purpose to lust after it, then I've committed adultery. And that gets back into that formulaic uh, uh, method of sin. I, I, I desire something and then I take action. I look. 
and that that desire and that action of looking those two things the progeny of those two things is sin which is the sin of adultery now that doesn't mean my wife can put me away and marry another because I haven't fornicated so we need to we need to be hyper specific about that oh let's see um that's it. For better or worse, in sickness and in health is a man-made saying, but I'm sure it would be aptly applied to Christians. Yeah, well, that's just a vow. Like, you you vow to love, honor, and cherish this woman for better or worse, and in sickness and in health, and, and vice versa to the man. Marriage is for life. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife. Let, let, let no man put asunder what God has joined together. It is impossible to uh, separate two people by man. God has to do the separating. God joins them. God has to separate them. So good stuff. Now, yes, it is a vow. Oh, yeah, the Christine Woodall, question mark. Yes, it's a vow. Um, that's it. Yeah, Deb Hibbert says, yes, men are more easily aroused visually, hence my pet peeve with how women dress especially those of the household of faith, we need to ensure we don't cause our brothers to stumble. Yeah, and I don't think anybody would argue that it's a two-way street, right? I, I need um, I need to I need to guard my eyes. Um, bear with me here. Job. Oops. Y'all remember where I put Job? before Psalms, wasn't it? All right, bear with me. It's the very first verse of one of the latter chapters. You know what? We're going to Google it. Job 31. I was almost there. Oh, excuse me. I've got a, I've got a pulled muscle that is giving me all manner of trouble. All right, read this. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid for what portion of God is there from above and what inheritance of the almighty from on high is not destruction. Anyway, the, the main point, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Job covenanted with his eyes. Well, that's what we have to do as a, as a man. As men, we have to make a covenant with our eyes. And there are times, um, there are times when uh, Labeth and I might be out eating and I say, hey, swap seats with me. She doesn't, she doesn't ask any questions. She just swaps seats. She knows. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a two-way street. Men are responsible for what they see, and they need to make a covenant with their eyes, but women also uh, need to make sure they're not throwing a stumbling block. Um, Marie Harris, what about commitment? Um, I don't – Marie, I don't know what you're getting at, sister. Uh, the, the marriage is a commitment. It's uh, – 
if you're not committed, you're, you don't have a marriage. I mean, you have a marriage. If you stand in before God and witnesses and say, I do, then you're married. You better be committed. If not, you're going to have a, a particular kind of hell on earth. Uh, quickly, let's, let's, let's clean up some of these comments here. And, uh, yeah, Christine says the problem is people don't take marriage vows seriously. Absolutely. And here's the thing. If you make a vow and you don't honor that vow, you're going to hell. Like that's bar none. It's not a sin to make a vow. In fact, um, well, I can't go. We got, we can't get off in the woods. Go to, go to James chapter five and, um, do not swear my brethren, uh, neither by heaven for it's, for it's the throne of God, neither by earth for, for it's his footstool. Uh, just let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Jesus said that while he was on earth and, um, James reiterated it. He said, swear not unless you fall into condemnation. And the, the, the condom, the word condemnation there is hypocrisy. I tell you what, let's just go look at it. Um, if we have to, we'll, we'll stay a little bit over. Where are you, James? I'm getting my trusty, rusty e-sword. Um, All right, bear with me. Yeah, verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. The word condemnation is hypocrisis. It's hypocrisy. It's not a sin to swear or take a vow. If it were a sin to take a vow, then we would have an issue with the marriage vow. If it was an if it was a sin to take a vow, we would have an issue with signing your name to a vow to pay money for um to pay money for a um a car. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a house and I vow to pay for that house. That that's a vow. So you if you if you if you don't pay for that house, then then you got a problem. Um, yeah, it threw me off. Don't. Oh, hold on. <clears throat> threw me off, Tony, when you said it was just a vow. Yeah, that's the thing. But 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 I didn't say it was just a vow. It's it's a vow, and it's never just a vow. If you make a vow and you don't honor it, you are hell bound. That that's what I'm afraid of with so many of these people. Now, the only way, and that, that's why, that's why marriage, divorce and remarriage is such a big issue because if your wife burns the toast and you put her away because you, you, you don't find any favor with her anymore, you are reneging on your vow and you are now have fallen into condemnation. I don't know how it's going to go for these people on a day of judgment. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't want to be in, I, I wouldn't want to be the judge. I'll just put it to you like that. All right. Let's talk about the underlying issue here. Um, now, um, there's a lot of whispering. I, I think that, so we got to trust our elders, folks. We either trust our elders or we withstand them publicly with a vote of no confidence. That's the thing. 
listen to this. Here's the role of the elders. Here's one of the roles. Holding, this is Titus chapter one, starting in verse nine. Elders are to be holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. This is, and well, keep on going. One of themselves, even the prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. The elders are supposed to be able to take these gainsayers that are living in open rebellion to God and through sound doctrine turn them back to the faith. But if they don't turn back to the faith, they are to be rebuked sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. The elders have a responsibility here. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter uh, 13. Listen to this. Verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Those that have the rule over you are the elders, and we're supposed to obey them. Now, what if what if an eldership is 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 in the wrong? Well, flip over to First Peter chapter five. Nope, nope. Hold on, First Timothy. Give me a second. All right. Verse 19 of of 1 Timothy chapter 5. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin, the elders that sin, rebuke before all, that others may also fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another and doing nothing without partiality. We are to hold our elders responsible. So if it is the case, well, first off, you either trust your elders that they have done their due diligence. And let me tell you something. If if I'm at a congregation and the eldership says, hey, look, we, we've talked to this couple. We know that, that they have uh, six marriages between them and four divorces. We know this, but they're right in the eyes of God. That's it. I, my, my responsibility is alleviated. However, if it is the case that several members know for a fact that this is false. Then whoever knows for a fact is responsible for bringing it to light. If you don't bring it to light, you are guilty of sin. Let me let me explain something. Let's go to I'm going to I'm going to break out my trusty rusty e-sword and we're going to go to Philippians 
and we're going to look at a couple of words. And so often the Lord's church in this way is populated by cowards and by people who are not, don't have the backbone to stand up and do the right thing. They want to whisper in corners. If you have a bunch of people that are whispering in corners, you have an issue like this. And this is causing dissension and it's hurting the church. And if, if you don't watch it, this, this congregation will suffer badly. Anyway, Paul, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading in chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And then he goes on to say, do all things without murmurings and disputings. That word murmur is, and I, I don't pronounce these words very well sometimes, uh, gogusmos, and that's a verb, and it literally means secret displeasures not openly avowed or secret debate. What is going on here is the elders have spoken, and instead of following the proper channels and going public, there is secret debate and secret displeasures not openly avowed. When you look at the noun, which the noun form of gagusmos, which is uh, gagudzo, it's used eight times in the King James, and it means to speak privately and in a low voice, to utter secret and sullen discontent, to express, in, to express indignant complaint, to murmur or to grumble. Folks, that's what's going on here. It is a sin. It's got to be stopped. You cannot have a house of God. You cannot have a body of Christ. The sin of murmuring and complaining, the sin of murmuring and disputings is equal to and just as damaging to the purity of the body of Christ as having a couple in the congregation and one and the man is in a leadership position when he has an unscriptural marriage. Now, do all things without murmuring and disputings, the King James says. Let's look at this word, disputings. It's uh, dialogismos, dialogue, but it's not, it's an, like an internal dialogue. Um, the, the dialogismos is the thinking of a man deliberating with himself. So you could be guilty of the sin of quote-unquote disputing if you are not submissive to the leadership of the congregation, if you are inward reasoning, if you are deliberating or questioning about what is true, if you are in hesitation or doubting, and it's internal. You don't have to involve anybody else. But Paul covers both of if if there's a if there's a bunch of people uh, expressing uh, displeasures not openly avowed. Or if it's just you yourself and you're not participating in the group, but you yourself are like, well, those elders just have it wrong. I know for a fact these people are in a are in a are in a um are in an unscriptural marriage. You have to make it public. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be difficult. Folk aren't gonna like you. They're gonna call you a bully. They're gonna call you a a, a radical conservative, or they're gonna call you whatever. Just think about all the names, somebody mean, judgmental. Think about all the names that Jesus was called. 
Think about all the names that the apostles were called. They're going to call you that because you're willing to stand for what is right. You, But what you cannot do is you cannot sit silently and participate in secret displeasures not openly avowed, nor can you sit silently and just debate within yourself thinking, well, I know these people are wrong. You have to make it right. All right. Um, Deb says, the members who may know, would they, would they go to the couple first and then the elders or straight to the elders? See, that's the thing. It, this is not necessarily a Matthew chapter 18 issue. It is the case that they can go straight to the elders in this because the elders have questioned these people and the elders are saying they're fine. And now the elders are responsible. So you, you can go straight to the elders with this. However, it's always better because here's what, here, here's what concerns me. Uh, the hold on a second. Where is it? Yeah. Several members know for a fact this is false. All right. Knowing for a fact and it being a fact is two different things, and I'll tell you why. I use the phrase like, um, okay, I I have given the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney+. Plus. Let's say I've given it a less than stellar review. And I've actually used the phrase with one of my buddies. Oh, I know for a fact they're trying to destroy Star Wars. Come on. Do I really? I'm not God. I don't know what these writers and these developers are thinking. So I don't really know it for a fact. So is this a figure of speech? Like I'm, like I'm sure, I'm, I'm convicted that they're trying to make Obi-Wan Kenobi look bad. And, and I'm not talking about making him look bad for a plot contrivance. I'm talking about they're just trying to make him look bad overall. Well, just because I say I know that for a fact, that doesn't really mean it's factual, does it? So I would say, even though this isn't necessarily a Matthew chapter 18 issue, that if I, quote unquote, here, I think we're done with this. We've read it enough. I think if I were, quote unquote, knowing for a fact that these people were not in a right relationship, I think before I went and caused a stink with the elders, I believe I would go talk to them first and I would say, hey, listen, I know the elders question y'all and I know that they said that your marriage is valid, but I, I just need to talk to you because I have reason to believe that, that they're mistaken and that you're mistaken and it's my goal that you and I spend eternity in heaven together. If you handle it like that, that's different, okay? Um. You, that that's that's really the way probably the way it should be handled but it's not necessary that you go to them first because like i said this isn't necessarily a matthew chapter a matthew chapter 18 deal um let me go back up here yeah uh virginia blue can can all sin be forgiven except going against the holy spirit well all sin is going against the holy spirit there is no sin whatsoever that cannot be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. None, none whatsoever, bar none, period, without mitigation. So, um, 
Elaine McClung says, knowing for a fact is difficult. People talk and you may have uh hearsay. Uh, then, then do you remain silent? Yeah. So that's the thing, right? If, um, I, I've got a really easy way of squashing hearsay. Um, I just pull out my phone. Like if somebody, like if, if I knew these people and I was in a group where their name come up and they said, oh yeah, I know for a fact, I know the elders said that their marriage was fine, but I know for a fact it's not because X, Y, Z. I'd be like, you do. Oh, well here, let's do this. And I'll call their number and I'll put them on speakerphone and I'll say, Hey, John, Linda, whoever John and Linda is this married couple. Uh, we were over here having a little brunch and your name come up and, and, and so-and-so, and I'd call their names, you know, Bob and, and Martha and Eleanor and Jim, uh, they all said they knew for a fact that your marriage was unscriptural because of X, Y, and Z. Can you talk to us about that? I, I, I do that. And again, I'm called a bully. I'm called a, 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 well, I'm called all kinds of stuff, really. But that, that's the only way I know to handle it. I do not let people gossip in front of me. Not, not at all. Um, but yeah, knowing for a fact is difficult. You've got that right. Um, Deb Hibbert says, the members who may know, would they go to the couple? For, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, I've I've talked about that. Yeah, it's like it's, it's not necessarily a Matthew chapter eighteen issue, uh, but it's always better. It's always better to go to the source first. And like I said, if 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 I if I knew if I quote unquote knew for a fact, I don't believe I'd go to the elders first. I'd go to my brother and sister first. Yeah, and Claudette says need to get all the parties that are involved together. And you know that's the sad thing, Claudette, is there are now too many parties to do that because it's being noised abroad. But read read the thing again that um, several members know for a fact this is false. Well, if this is a hundred member congregation, how many members? Thirty or forty? And it is causing a lot of whispering among members. So it sounds like several of the members know for a fact this is false. And instead of going to the eldership or going to the couple, they're going to all the other people, and it's causing a lot of whispering among members. So it may be that the only way to have all of the parties involved is after worship service on Sunday, the elders need to stand up and say, we want everybody to stick around for a little bit after the closing prayer. We have an issue that we have to discuss. And then you just bust it right out in the open. You shine the light of Jesus right on it. Listen, one of the worst things that, a, that, a, that an eldership can do is let something like this go on. If you don't nip this kind of stuff in the bud, you will create a culture of gossip and backbiting and it will create fraction of uh, fractions. It will, it will create fractions, one quarter, two quarters, three quarter. It will create factions in the church. And you might have a congregation that on the outside looks unified and whole, but it's going to be fractured. That's it. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. And, um, that's it, Connie. We can, we can see something with our own eyes and we may still get it wrong. That's it. That is it. Now, 
here's the thing. Sadly, if it's found out that these folks are in an unscriptural marriage, they need to repent. And uh, it's always rough to handle, is it not? But I don't know, just something to think about and uh, some principles that we've talked about tonight. And these are the things that that face the church. I think about what Paul wrote, um, 2 Corinthians. I can't remember. I'm just going to go over there. I can't remember if it's chapter 12 or chapter 13. You think I'd know. Um, no, I was wrong on both accounts. It's chapter 12. So listen to this. Verse 23 of chapter 11. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prison more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings, often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst and in fastings, often in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, besides those things that are outside of the body, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, I get a feeling that even though Paul suffered so much physically, what hurt him the most was the care that he had for the churches. And when you read something like this, this is the care for the churches. Some congregation somewhere is going through this right now. And it ought to be devastating to us. The Bible is so clear on how to handle it. And we just need to handle it the way the Bible handles it. The sad thing is when you're the one that steps up and you start putting those boundaries up and you start saying, look, we're going to handle this the way the Bible handles it. If you're the gospel preacher, they fire you. If you're a member, they ostracize you. If you're an elder, you're typically ousted from the eldership because folk don't like it. They want their status quo. They, want, they don't want the boat to rock. They think that if, if it's going along just fine, why mess with it? The problem is God says it's not going along just fine. And that's it. That's all I've got. Y'all got any other questions or comments in relation to all of this? Thank you, Virginia. And by the way, I don't know who this I say. I know who this is, but. This is not anything that I'm associated with. I'm not going through anything like this. This is just, I, I, I think I feel kind of like Paul. This bothers me because I know somebody's dealing with this, and somebody's going to have to be the quote-unquote bad guy and take a stance and rebuke a bunch of people for murmuring and complaining and, and debating and all that. They're going to have to, they're going to have to, maybe they have to rebuke an eldership because the eldership hasn't handled it the way it should be handled. Anyway, it's it's rough. I would hate to be the fella that bears that responsibility in that congregation because 
he's going to be hated for a minute and he may be ousted because most of the time when the boat starts rocking, the fella that's the last one in the, that was the last one in the boat, he's the first one that falls out. Deb says we are imperfect people, but we need to try our best to live holy lives. Let's all help each other with that goal. If we are, if we all understand we're on the same journey, heaven bound, we'll be open to correction, rebuke, uh, reprove, which should make us stronger in the faith. And that is absolutely correct. Well, folks, we're three minutes past the hour. And if you don't mind me telling the slightest bit of a fib, I'm going to pretend like I did that on purpose. <laughs> no, you know, that's not true. Um, if we'd have needed to go to 15 or 20 minutes past the hour, that's what we'd have done, wouldn't it? And I'm so thankful for all of you. I hope that you go to digitalbiblestudy.locals.com. Your support of Digital Bible Study helps us give you more programming. I'm excited to be a part of Digital Bible Study in a in a more um, in a in a more of a role than I have before. I'm, I'm enjoying what we're doing at Locals. Think about signing up for Locals, and uh, don't again don't let the tail wag the dog. If you're if you're doing the DigitalBibleStudy.org on the website and everything, keep keep supporting that. But just know that whether you support us at locals.com or you support us at digitalbiblestudy.org, that that support goes into uh, getting more people, getting more programming, uh, blog articles. LaBeth is going to start doing uh, for members of either the locals or the website. She is going to start doing a Zoom. Uh, it's not a class. It's Basically, it's it's some time to spend with the therapist, and it's going to be. Well, you'll just have to figure it out. You, I, I don't know about it all that much, but Labeth does, and uh, she does the Mindful Soul on Wednesdays, and uh, I think she's she's planning on starting that a week from tomorrow, and it's going to be a Zoom class, and it's but it's only going to be for our supporters. So uh, that's another thing we're trying to do is is offer more stuff for the supporters. Um, and that's all I've got here. Scott Wall, good night. Uh, Deb, thank you for your comments. You really helped drive the, you really helped drive the, uh, the show tonight. And thank you for everybody's comments, by the way. I just, Deb's was particularly poignant in relation to the subject matter. And uh, I appreciate that. Um, Christine Woodall, appreciate you. And, uh, Y'all, this has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations talking about a, uh, I can't remember who put it, but so, so, talking about a very difficult topic. And here's the thing, just just only do what the Bible says, regardless of how it feels in the moment. And that's how you show your faith in God. God bless you. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations, and we'll catch you on the flip side.